Oh, yeah, I'm just kidding. Thank you for that support. And all of you online, be faithful and preach with me, too, this evening. It's so good when we share the Word of God together, and I enjoy it. This is our joint service. Just before I start, let me remind you, if you're watching for the first time online or if you're a first-time visitor, let me see your hand if you've never been here before. There's one right here, Jack, in that orange, and right over there, just put their hand. Anybody else? Let me just say thank you for being a visitor. Amen. Amen. Praise God. We're so glad you're here. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. And then thank you for watching online. And if you haven't been with us before, please join us again. We'll be back here Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And we'll be back Tuesday morning at 9 o'clock and Wednesday back again here. But I'm looking forward to the weekend. Now, if you weren't here Sunday night, you missed it. Can you somebody say amen? amen? You missed it. I'm telling you, Sister Edith brought us to, uh, to the throne. And then God took care. All, all we, we have to do is get somebody to get us there, and God takes care of the rest. Amen? And I was sure blessed, and I was blessed to see. I'm already hearing reports of healings that took place Sunday night. Just heard one a while ago. I guess I didn't know, but I'm sure glad I do. But it just tells us how faithful God is. Before I dismiss tonight, don't let me forget to pray for a couple people, and you may want healing too, but I've got a couple I want to pray for that I know, and God's going to do some touches. Now, I received a phone call yesterday morning I don't like to get, but on the other hand, it's bittersweet. One of the sweetest and dearest friends that I've had in a long time, by the name of uh, Linda Sterling, who sang in our choir, and Helen Bowles, you'll know Helen and Mother Helen, um, all of her kids took Helen and, uh, on, on a cruise. She always wanted to go to the Bahamas and Nassau, and they were going on this cruise and had a great time, and they were all together with her kids watching a movie, and, and Sister Helen slumped over into the arms of her son and went to heaven. And Helen Bowles, our dear, sweet, wonderful friend that sat right over here and that could testify like nobody else did, uh, went to heaven, and Linda called me and said, Pastor, I, she got in from New Orleans where they took uh, Helen's body Monday and then it was real, or Sunday night. It was really late. She called me Monday morning and then let me know, and they're having a memorial in Mississippi where they're from, and her son owns a farm with a big oak tree on the side of a beautiful mountain, side of a hill, and that's where she wanted to be buried, and the family's going to put her to rest there, but I'm telling you, she's, the body's going, the Helen's in the presence of God, amen, and if she could shout here, think what she's doing there, I'm telling you what, that lady, when she testified, if you wasn't on your feet, something was wrong with your feet, that's all I got to say, so we're going to be praying for Linda and all the kids as we bittersweet, um, thank God for the fact that God let us have Helen for a while. Now, you know that I've talked to you about um, where we're going right now, and this study that we're going to be doing is the book of Daniel, and Daniel has a, a connection uh, in several areas of the Bible, even in, in a term that is the paramount phrase or truth of the book of Daniel and um, that phrase is called the time of the Gentiles. 
And so if you look at the book of Daniel, you, you know some of the stories in there, and we'll, we'll go through this book together. This is an introduction tonight. This is a brush over of who he was, or he is still, who Daniel is in the Bible, the, his uh, personality and about his life and all about him. We know Daniel from the, even the children's storybooks of Daniel in the lion's den. You may know the story of the handwriting on the wall where um, Daniel decoded that when it was um, a famous line that you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And, and it's a, a number of great stories. His friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and in the uh, fiery furnace as advisors to the king Nebuchadnezzar, his prophecy to him. But let's just do a brush over of the book of Daniel and introduction, and then next week we'll get into the actual parts of Daniel. Now, I thought it was interesting to know that in Daniel's life, he was born and lived about 600 years prior to the birth of Christ in the 6th century B.C. What was going on in the world at that time? How can you identify with the world. The Mayan civilization was really flourishing in the country of Mexico at that time. Aesop was writing his fables. Have you ever heard of Aesop's fables? This is the time of the life of Daniel. This is just setting some times in humanity and the world. Confucius and Buddha were alive. Now I got to tell you something that's really sad. They're not now. But Jesus is. So here you have the influence of the Buddhist, the philosophy of Confucius. And these men were alive at that, this particular time that Daniel was. Greek art was beginning to really excel around the world. And uh, an interesting point, the Greeks were introducing the olive tree to Italy. Aren't you glad? I knew... Um, Rabbi's father and uncle. In fact, when, when your dad brought his brother to my office, remember, I'll never that's such a sweet man. He couldn't speak a word of English, and I couldn't speak a word of Italian. And, and we talked through dad and through Cosmo, and we embraced, and we talked about the Lord. And the one thing about your uncle, I loved his heart was so tender. He, he wept when we, well, I just had to say Jesus, and that's a barrier breaker. Amen. So here's the guys that brought olive oil over there. Um, the Phoenicians made their first trip around the coast of Africa during this time. So there was a world going on during the time of Daniel. Daniel's world was different because Daniel's world was being changed in Judea. The Babylonian Empire, as massive as it was, and it seemed to be impenetrable and impossible to break, was conquering what they thought to be the world. They didn't realize that all of these other areas was going, were going on, on this earth. But they thought that they were conquering their idea of the world. And they were conquering any and everyone that they could possibly target. They had conquered Judah. And this man, Daniel, was a prophet to Judah. And he didn't start out as a prophet. He was an exile. He was, he was a captive when, when they were taken over and Jerusalem was conquered by Babylon. And he and several of his friends, they were filtered out by their intellect and by their abilities. 
and they were put in the king's service of Nebuchadnezzar. And in that service, Daniel made a decision right off the bat that separated him from probably most of the captives that were there. Many times when someone is captivated or taken captive by a massive, massive army like Babylon, it's what's the use to fight? I mean, who? I'm one man. What can I do? I'm one woman. How can I fight? It's give up and get along. But in Daniel's case, he said, I'm not going to in any way, in any way of my life, I'm not going to stop serving Yeshua or God, Jehovah. I'm not going to stop serving God. I'm in captivity. I can't help that. I've been filtered through. They put me in the king's service. It's probably the last place he wanted to be, but he said, I can't help that. But what I'm going to do while I'm there, I'm going to make a difference in my life and in the lives of others. This is the test of my life. Do I really love God? Is religion religion or is religion relationship? Do I have a communion with Jehovah God or do I have a head knowledge of Jehovah God? And it takes these kinds of things and these kinds of situations many times for us to know. I want to tell you something. God doesn't allow you to go into trials and difficult times in your life just to see if you're tough enough to survive. He lets you go in for you to learn dependency on him. And he brings you into these things with the attitude and with the heart of relationship that you will go closer to him, not further away from him. And that decision isn't God. God's already made the decision for you to allow these things to come into your life. The decision is, will I go through it with God or will I rebel or quit or walk away and not trust in God? So Daniel says, I'm going to trust in God. He's put in the king's service. They're assigned a steward over these particular group. His three friends are renamed with Babylonian names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And there they are in the service of, of the king of Nebuchadnezzar. They learn the language. They're studying in all the customs of the Babylonians. This is contrary to everything Israel's about. This is contrary to everything Judaism is about. This is a, a nation of heathens that serve heathen gods. It would like be taking you or I to, uh, to worship Buddha or a Hindi temple or, or, or a Muslim temple. It is nothing that we would do, nothing that we would want. But he put his trust in God and believed God would lead him through. And this is the difference. It's, it's a hard thing to go from theory to reality in your relationship with Jesus. It takes something that will cause theory to become reality of who Jesus is. Let me explain that. I know Jesus is the Son of God. If you believe that, say amen. amen. I know he died for my sins. If you believe that, say amen. amen. I know he rose again and sits at the right hand of the Father as an advocate to me. If you believe that, say amen. amen. And all of these things we know. I know he hears me when I call on him. Amen. amen. But applying what I know in my life many times takes circumstances that I would not want my life to take. I, you, 
I can't tell you over the years of pastoring how many times I've heard different attitudes. And I can tell by the attitude. I, I tried to change some and pray with some. And the initial shock of something happening or the trial they're going through, I can understand statements are made. But when all of the dust settles and the decision is made where I'm going to be with God, I can hear people, I still can hear people say, why did God let this happen? Blaming God. If God's a God of love, oh, that one just about irps me. Why did he let this happen? I don't understand. That one I've said many times. I don't understand why God would do this. And at the time I'm saying it, I don't. But as I put my theory of God into practice and the reality of God starts taking place, I start to understand things I didn't before. But it takes that application to change me. God wants us to be changed into the image of Jesus. He wants us to be changed into his likeness. He wants us to be changed into his mindset. But my friends, there are times when God puts us in places that we would not choose to be. Anybody ever been in an uncomfortable spot? Oh. Your family. I don't know what happened to his family. Rabbi, you can maybe tell me. If they were killed, they were taken captive. All I know is Daniel was taken away. He was taken away. He was probably a teenager. He's taken away. He never sees probably good chance where he was at, muffled in the king's court. He may never have seen his family again. That in itself is enough to discourage someone. Longing for. You ever been homesick before? Oh, my goodness. You ever wanted to see your family when you couldn't? So here he is, and he's... Now, they don't speak to him in Hebrew any longer. They speak to him only in the Babylonian and Chaldean language. They only speak to him in terms where he has to catch up. What do he say? What's he mean? Finally, he learns the language. Not only learns, he's fluent and he's brilliant. He's a young, very smart young man. But in all of his ways, he doesn't abandon. He might have to speak the language of the Chaldeans. He may have to speak the Babylonian customs, but he doesn't live it in his heart. He's having to apply everything he believes to a reality and not a theory. And my friends, listen to me. That is God's plan of you going, getting to know him better. It's not something he's trying to punish you with. It's not something he's trying to teach you a lesson. We don't have that kind of God. But it is a God that's showing you who he is when you trust in him. Now, it's a lot easier to say it than do it. And a lot of people didn't. I would dare say that in this selection process, there might have started out with many young Jewish boys from Judah. There might have been a lot of Hebrews, and they filtered down to these. And so this keeper, and I know you've heard this story, I think. I don't know if anybody's heard stories anymore like I used to think they do, so I'll tell you real quick. When this keeper was keeping 
the men in the king, they were separated and different stewards were put over different groups. And they come to Daniel and he's going, hey, look at this. This is a T-bone steak from the king's palace. And most of them are going, whoa, we didn't get this at home. And it's starting to look good being a captive. I want to tell you something. Listen to me. And this is a spiritual principle. Don't ever let captivity, listen to you're listening. Don't ever let captivity look good to you. Listen to me. Don't ever. Captivity is captivity. I don't care how comfortable the enemy may make it. I don't care how appealing the enemy may make it. Captivity, when it starts looking good to us, means compromise. And this meat, in many cases, was meat that was offered to, sac- to idols first and then given to these men. And they, in Israel, they wouldn't have dreamed of eating the meat given to an idol or had it there. It wouldn't have been in the temple. It was holy. The priest went through the process. They got their part. They worshiped God, but it was sacrifice. It was holy, not this. So Daniel says, look, I'm not, I'm not going to eat this. Give us a, a meal. Give us vegetables to eat. And this guy goes, no, you're going to get me killed if I do that because you're going to get scrawny looking and you're going to look sick and the king's going to ask me why and you guys really are a smart bunch here. He's got his eye on you. Daniel said, just test me for 10 days. See, test me over and, and, and try and see. And by him trusting God, here's putting theory into reality. By him trusting God. God takes the vegetable diet and changes it into the right protein, the right minerals, and all of a sudden, there's, there's health that comes to this man. There's health that comes to his three friends with him. They look better, they think better, they act better because they didn't live on the diet of the kingdom of Babylon, or they didn't live on the diet of captivity. How many analogies do I have to make? How, long, how many do we have to say? You can't live on the diet of captivity. When captivity starts looking good to you, you need to reassess your life and understand that God is only in theory to you then. It's not until you're looking at something that threatens or challenges your very existence until you're able to put God into reality. That's why he walks us through situations in our life. So I'm emphasizing this tonight so you know the man we're going to be talking about. When he was a kid, he didn't know he was a prophet. He didn't understand, but immediately, because of his separation from the things of Babylon, as much as he could do, He learned the language. He learned the customs. But he didn't eat the food offered to idols. He didn't drink the wine of the king. He almost took a Nazarite vow, not knowing what that was then, I suppose. Maybe in Samson he did. But that's a later time, different time. Here he is now saying, I'm going to separate myself from the world. I'm still in captivity in my body. But listen to me, my friends. When you decide... To make an all-out 
following of Jesus Christ. You may be in captivity in your body, but not in your spirit. And your spirit is the eternal part of you. It makes such a difference when you try it, when you test God. You say, yeah, we don't test God. It's wrong to test God. I'm not saying test God in doubt, but I'm saying when you put his word to action in your life. So Daniel begins this diet. He looks healthy, and guess what happens? All of a sudden, Daniel begins to dream dreams. So when you go through this book that we're going to be studying, we're going to talk about the, the fall of Jerusalem and Daniel taking into captivity in chapter 1. We're going to be talking about Nebuchadnezzar's dream about a, a multi-metallic image interpreted by Daniel concerning the four kingdoms of, and here's the theme of the book, of the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles. You're going to hear that through the entire, entire book of Daniel referred to. In chapter 3, we're going to see the decree of Nebuchadnezzar to enforce universal idolatry. And this is where the three Hebrew children are introduced to bow to this 90-foot-tall gold image or burn in the fire. Now, when, when, when Dr. Tim Hill, the bishop of the Church of God, my dear, dear brother, was just a kid, he wrote a song. One of the great songs, the Spear family sang it, and it got famous. But that so the song was, he's still in the fire and he's walking in the flame. I'm going to tell you something. When we face the fire of tribulation, when we face the fire of persecution, when we face the fire that tries to cause us to fear our existence with God, and we say, I would rather burn than I would give up on my trust in God. I can tell you this, not once, but in every circumstance, you say, you're going out on a limb. Am I really? I don't think so. I don't believe there's one time when you face the fire that Jesus, the Son of God, our Savior, isn't there with you. Every time. He's faithful. He's never late. He's never forgotten. He's never not he is a now God. We continue on. A, a brief one-line summaries. In chapter 4, we see Nebuchadnezzar has a dream about a great tree hewn down to a stump. And it's fulfilled in a subsequent period of madness in his life. That, that's something that's kind of interesting. We're going to touch on these, but we're going to get to the prophetic pretty quick in the book of Daniel. In chapter 5, there's a downfall of Babylon foretold by Daniel as he read the handwriting on the wall of Belshazzar. Belshazzar was a co-regent, they think, and a son or grandson of his father was the regent, but he was a godless, godless man that had no regard for anything but himself. I think one of the great things about Belshazzar was and God showed me this one time is when he had this feast of a thousand heathens. And I mean, it was lewd in what was going on. He called for the temple of Jerusalem. He called for the vessels from the temple to come when they'd taken it over. So they go and, and they, they do what he says. They go get the, temp, the vessels from the temple. And they, and they fill them through, up with the wine 
of the Babylonians, this, this godless wine. And they come bring them in and they start mocking the God of Israel. Now I want to tell you something. God has a line in the sand. Amen? And, and Belshazzar, not just that night, but his entire life was a life of lewd disregard. They had warehouses full of gods that they had destroyed and conquered from other nations. They'd set them up, they'd mock them, they'd fake dance around them, and they would act like they were worshiping, and they finally got around to Jehovah. <laughs> oh, man, there's no match for God. Do you know, I want to tell you something. Never, I was speaking to our pastors today at our meeting, and, and I say this, and I'm going to tell you this. Never one time in all of the existence of time has God lost. Well, I can point out, no, you can't. If you point out anything to me, I'll tell you the rest of the story. And never one time has God lost to the enemy. You need to say amen louder than that. Why? Why? Because your security is found in that. Your assurance is found in that. The guarantee that you can trust God is found in that very phrase. That God has never, nor will he ever. And this word of omnipotent, all-powerful, I'm telling you, it means this. It means all in a way that we cannot comprehend. The omnipotence of God, the all-powerful God that has never in any form or fashion lost to this thing, this chief demon. In fact, I read a, a scripture today where it says that he will fail him by the breath of his nostrils. When the time comes for God to destroy this one Satan that's ruled this earth and destroyed so many lives, the Bible says he'll actually do this. Watch this, old Jew. Not much of a fight. You'll see me do it again? Oh, you missed it. Watch. By the breath of his nostrils. I mean, he won't lift a finger. And for Satan, who is this deceiver, he's the master deceiver. We've been studying the book of Revelation. And we talked about the rise of the Antichrist kingdom. We talked about the false prophet. We talked about Satan himself and this evil trinity that will stand up one day and declare themselves to be God. And in all these things that we see, when I study all of this, I think this, this facade that Satan has, has represented himself to be and the trickery of Satan. Do you know that right now, watching online and in this room, the enemy, you may not recognize him, but you hear thoughts in your mind about things that are going on in your life right now, and you're going, that ain't good. This could happen. This might happen. What if that happened? It's hard to think they won't happen or God will help us through them, but the enemy is so impacting on our mind and our emotion that he's constantly trying to tell us things that God's word isn't true, that God doesn't care, that God isn't going to help you, he doesn't answer your prayer, you didn't qualify, you're 
out there someplace. You're not one of those that everyone else is. And, and you're constantly fighting that battle. But I can't tell you this strongly enough. He is a liar in every sense of the word and everything right now that's discouraging you and saying there's no hope, there's no help, there's no ability. In Jesus' name, I rebuke it in the name of Jesus because it is not true and God will help you. Did he go to the lion's den? Yes, he went, but he came out. Did they go to the fiery furnace? Yes, but they came out. This deceiver that tries to discourage you and destroy your confidence in God is a deceiver and a liar. And everything about him is. In chapter 6, there's a decree from Darius, the Median king now that's taken over Persia, has destroyed Babylon and now they're there and and. And he's tricked into a deal of enforcing, by the law of the Medes and Persians, if a king seals something with his ring, it's done, it can't be reversed. And the politics get in there because they don't like the way Daniel's being blessed by God. I want to pause a second and tell you all something. You have an enemy if you have Jesus. Oh, I don't give any credit to the enemy. I'm not giving credit. Listen to the rest of my statement. You have an enemy if you have Jesus. But if you have Jesus, you have he who overcome the enemy. That set a standard up higher than the enemy. That pulled a wall of defense around you. That's covered you with the blood that he shed that's almighty and all-powerful and all-penetrating into any situation and circumstance. God is greater in your life than any threat of the enemy. But we have enemies. They tell this Persian king to put a decree out. You'll worship no other god but me. He for just 30 days. I mean, what, 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 what's the deal? Daniel says, No. I'm not going to do that. And there's where God steps in and shows him his greatness and his glory as he is delivered from the lion's den. Now chapter 7 to chapter 12 is where I'm going to spend the majority of the time. This is dealing with the times of the Gentiles and it's dealing with more of the prophetic time that will, you see it in Luke chapter 24 um, I, I've, I've seen it in Romans 11, uh, Ezekiel 30, all through the Word of God, you'll see this talking that, you'll, that will parallel with the revelation of John in a lot of cases. Chap, chapter 12, when we get to that, it talks about the great tribulation, the rapture and the tribulation and the end of time and the glorious time of God. But from 7 forward. Now here's a, a little anomaly and because I've preached this for many, many years, and, and I meant it, but I didn't understand it in completion. Anytime I tell you the Old Testament, or the first covenant, I would call it, is in Hebrew, it is the majority. But in this particular book and in the book of Esther and a couple other places, 
there's a segment from chapter 2, verse 4, to chapter 7 in the book of Daniel is written in Aramaic, not Hebrew. It was the cultural language of the day. It was the business language. And Rabbi will tell you it's very closely related to uh, Hebrew, but not Hebrew. And so there is some writing in the Old Testament that's not all completely Hebrew. You get into the New Testament, Aramaic was the, the thing, and you, you see that, and you see that as the customary language of the time. <clears throat> Why did I tell you that? I don't know. I thought it was an interesting point, so I just shared it with you. <laughs> in this study that we're going to be in, and we're going to see in chapter 7 through chapter 12, it's going to get into some areas that you'll, will, will correlate with revelation from our teaching we just finished. Daniel's vision of the four beasts concerning four kingdoms of the times of the Gentiles. Now let me tell you about those four kingdoms. We'll talk about them. There are four kingdoms in this vision that he saw by four beasts that represent four kingdoms of the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles is when the Gentiles have complete political control over Jerusalem and, and own it, as it were. The first kingdom was the Babylonian kingdom that we're here now that, they, that he saw. The second one was the Persian kingdom that we just saw with Darius. The third one is the Greek kingdom of these four. And the fourth one, was the Roman kingdom that ruled over. Now, during the time of Christ, Rome ruled over the nation of Israel, as we know. So these things, these visions, and these truths that God began to give this young man have futuristic impact, and they, and they happen. And I want to talk about, that's one of the big points I want to talk about tonight, is everything God showed him happened. Now, he was gone for many years, centuries in some cases, before the fulfillment, but God used him to speak that. Daniel's vision of the ram and goat and the little horn, we're going to be talking about in chapter 8. In chapter 9, the 70 weeks concerning the nation of Israel, that's always a really big one there. There's so much controversy, so many, how does this figure out? And, and men have tried to, and, and from the time I was a young Christian, They've tried to use the 70-week principle as some kind of recipe that, to narrow down to the day that Jesus is coming back. Let me tell you something. I'm going to speak Hebrew to you right now. Okay, listen. You can learn to say this word. Listen, forget it. <laughs> now, in English, it means forget it. You're not going to do that. God's not going to tell us. He's going to give us signs. He's going to give us the Holy Spirit's unction. We're going to know the time is close. And I want to tell you something. I, I think Paul was constantly looking. I'm telling you, I wouldn't be surprised any day. I said it this afternoon to my friends. I would not be surprised in the morning to listen to the news and hear something that takes place. I would not be at all shocked. And I told my friends, these pastors today, I would not be at all shocked. It was about 3 in the afternoon. I said, at 5 o'clock today, if the rapture of the church took place, 
It wouldn't shock me one bit if the body of Christ was taken out and the drawing of the Holy Spirit was removed and focused on the nation of Israel and the seven-year tribulation time started. It wouldn't shock me a second because as I read what has to be fulfilled and what he said in Daniel, what all the prophets said in the Old Testament, what they said in the New Testament of the Second Covenant, John's revelation tells me that we have fulfilled so many, if not all of the... Let me tell you something. I was in the Rift Valley in, in Kenya going to, to Tanzania, near Tanzania, out in the middle of nowhere... When I met some, some, I've told you the story of my Maasai brothers. That, that In fact, there was a great revival going on in the Maasai nation. And Jesus was saving tens of thousands. But when I met those guys, we're out so far that a hoot out. I mean, it'd take, if, it'd take a dollar worth of penny stamps to get to your house. You're so far, you're out nowhere. I mean, nowhere. The only thing I heard was lions. Like from here to the back of the church, I didn't know lions went, who, who, who. I thought, what is that? Is that like a hoot owl on steroids? Oh, no, that's a lion. That's what this Maasai guy told me, and I went, what? <laughs> and I heard this ungodly noise, and I said, what's that? He said, that's hyena. I thought hyenas were like, hyenas are like this. They're huge. Why are you telling me a story? I'm telling you that I'm talking to them, and all of a sudden the phone rings. And Jonathan, the leader, takes his cell phone out and talks. I'm thinking, God, we're further along than I thought. In the Rift Valley, between Kenya and Tanzania, a Maasai warrior takes his cell phone out. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that the Word of God is being used in every medium that exists, and we have no idea how many people through the power of the Holy Spirit and the direction of the Holy Spirit and the glory of God, we have no idea how many are hearing the word of God and we have no comprehension of how the Holy Spirit is drawing people all over the world before the coming of Jesus Christ. My friends, it doesn't take an evangelist or a pastor or some quick great statesman of the gospel. It only takes the power of the Holy Ghost to lead a man or a woman to Jesus Christ. And he's doing it. He's doing it all over the world. And for that reason, I would not at all be shocked if tomorrow Jesus came. I'm not, you say, are you a little apprehensive? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? No. Do you want to die? No. But I want to go to heaven. It's much greater. It's not a trade-off. It's all shucks. No. It's, oh my goodness. The second that we get the first breath of eternal air, the second that this body is changed, into the immortal, the second that we look into the face in his omnipotent way, some way, he's going to have a one-on-one -on -one with every one of us, and I'm going to look into the face of the one they crucified, and I'm going to look in the face of Jesus and hear him say this, not by my merits, but by his blood, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into the joys that I prepared for you, and that's for everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ.
chapter 10. Preparation for visions by prayer of Daniel's appearance of a heavenly messenger. That's going to be an interesting chapter. Chapter 11 concerning the Persian and Greek historical little horn. We're going to get into that. That's another real high prophetic point here in eschatological. Uh, we're going to get into that in last times teaching. And in chapter 12, a preview of Israel's last days, the great tribulation, the resurrection, the rewards, and the final end of all things. My goodness, chapter 12 is going to parallel Revelation so much. It's not going to be funny. If you're watching online, you can tune in every Wednesday night. We'll archive them if you can't be here. But we're going to go through this book going primarily pretty quick down to chapter 7 to 12 to look at the comparisons. And we're going to do, um, we're going to do an analogy or a comparison to Hebrew of, of the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation and see the overlaying word. Now, what's all this mean? Let me end this by telling you this. When I started looking this and I started studying this, there's one thing that came to me. That's 600 years before the birth of Christ, and even prior to that, many, many centuries. But in this particular case, 600 years before the birth of Christ, the Word of God was coming, and it was coming with revelation of what God was going to do in the future. And then we get into the time of Jesus, 650 years later, and we see this time with John on the Isle of Patmos. God gives us an update with further insight as to what's going to happen. And in this update in Revelation, he talks about the church age. In this revelation, he talks about the age of the Gentiles, whereas Daniel really doesn't get into the church itself. He does get into the time of the Gentiles. And here's what I want you to know about the time of the Gentiles. Their time has, will come, but their time will end, and no longer will anything have political are any kind of governmental control over the nation of Israel and we're there and only the hand of the Almighty God will guide that country and we're at a point right now to see the end of all times and the glorious future that we have. I'm, I understand how revelation of the Word of God, particularly prophetic revelation, I know how it can be twisted. And I'm very, very, very careful not to do that. I, I don't give you an analogy that isn't backed up by truth. And I understand how revelation can be used to twist the thoughts of people. I will not do that. I'm going to teach you the absolute, pure truth of the Word of God. But I want you to understand this. When I preach about the end time, and I talk about how God showed Daniel these things, and then he showed John the Revelator these things, and how we're living in these days, it's not a time to be fearful. That's the enemy. Listen to me. That's the enemy. 
Because the enemy will tell you this, you're not ready. It's going to be good for some people, but you're not one of them. you got to be afraid. What if the rapture comes today? Will you go to heaven? And that question is put into your mind. Listen to me as a child of God. If you've asked Jesus Christ to come in your heart, say amen. amen. Online, you say amen. And I'm telling you this, if you've asked Christ to come in your life, you've confessed Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you've decided to follow Jesus in your life, all of these lies are trying to cover and shroud the glory of what we have coming for us. And there ain't nothing sad about it. It is a glorious, wonderful time. It's going to be a time that we can't even believe of immense euphoric joy for eternity. And there is nothing that the enemy can come or say or do to you that should dissuade you or cause you not to believe that you're not in that number. The blood of Jesus Christ qualified you. Your life didn't. Your sin, well, I've got some flaws in my life. Let me tell you what he did for you and I. He created, and he is the origin and the creator of a wonderful thing called grace. I didn't say greasy grace. I can do anything I want to and go to heaven. No. But I'm saying in your carnality, in your human ways, the, the shortcomings you have and the faults that you have, when you want to serve Jesus Christ, when you want to be a child of God, and you do things, you say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Yes, I understand that. But there's enormous doctrine called the doctrine of grace that bridges our humanity to the divine. And it's the love of God that keeps us. And if you in any way think that you're shortcoming, you don't have to get up every morning and get saved. You don't have to go to the altar and get saved every week. You do need to repent of your sins. You need to ask Him to forgive you. But then you need to go forward because the grace of God is going to keep you and give you the, the, the vehicle to be catapulted into the eternal with an almighty God. And it's His love that keeps you. It's not just your constant fear of am I doing right or doing wrong. Don't live in that. That's a lie of the enemy. What I'm going to be teaching you this week and next week and the following weeks on this comparative analysis of these two books is something that gives hope and joy to the believer that God was faithful 600 years, 1,000 years, 5,000 years ago in the very creation of time and he's faithful today and he will remain faithful. He's just looking for somebody that will say, I too will be faithful and he'll inject his glory and power in your life by the Holy Spirit. Spirit.